Have you ever sat down and thought that you were supposed to start a podcast? Have you ever wondered how you're going to do that and how that will work? Anchor.fm is the link where this podcast is recorded. It is so helpful, so easy to do. Now, come on, people. If I can do it, y'all can do it. I'm telling you what. So (laughs) go to anchor.fm, start your podcast, and follow what God is calling you to do. Hey guys, welcome to season 12 of the Anchor by the Sword podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so appreciative and grateful and blessed for each person who listens for the first time or has been with us through now 12 seasons. So thank you for tuning in to listen and glean something from the freedom stories of the person featured in each episode. God bless and let's do this. Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of the Anchored by the Sword podcast. I'm really excited because my friend Karen has connected me with someone that I am really, really, really super pumped about talking to, and I know you guys are going to love our conversation today. Inez Franklin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. Can you tell my listeners more about yourself? Well, I am a teaching pastor at a church in Southern California called Mariner's Church. Mm -hmm. Been doing that now for 13 years. I am married to my dear friend, Jim Franklin, and he and I have five children. We're a blended family. Mm -hmm. So he came with two daughters. I came with a son and two daughters. Mm -hmm. And then our children are now married, adults and married, and they too have married into blended families. So our family is huge. We have nine grandchildren. Um, some of them are what we call homegrown and <laughs> others we called pre-assembled, <laughs> but they're all our grandchildren. And we have a 10th grandbaby. Uh, we just found out this morning that it's going to be a boy. Oh, that's awesome. So, I know. So 10, 10 grandchildren here soon, uh, as of next year. And, uh, also I, I have a nonprofit ministry. It's a discipleship ministry that I do online. And so I, I wrote my book as part of that ministry. I speak, I, I write, I write blogs, I do podcasting. I do all those things really to share the goodness of Jesus Christ. I did not become a believer until I was 40. And so I am a latecomer to the faith and I, I have so much to be grateful for as far as mm-hmm. how God changed my life that I just want to spend the rest of my life just proclaiming his goodness. And uh, yeah, I get to do that with my ministry and my work at the church as well. Oh, I love all of those things. Again, congratulations on the 10th grandbaby on the way. I know, and so fun. Thank you. You're welcome. I do love how you say homegrown versus pre-assembled. <laughs> that is hilarious. I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and they love it. By the way, I, of course, I asked them permission. Is it okay for me to say it this way? And they <laughs> love it. They think it's so good. And it just, yeah, they're they're all our grandchildren. And I became a grandma kind of young because when my oldest, who it was Jim's daughter, Mm -hmm. got married and came, you know, married a man with two children. They were, I think, six and four at the time. Mm -hmm. I was only 42 years old and Mm -hmm. I still had my daughters at home. They were going to school and was like, oh my gosh, I'm a mom. I'm a grandma. How do I adjust? (laughs) And so they were so gracious with me and uh, they love that they have a young grandma. (laughs) Yeah, we get to do fun things. Oh, that's awesome. So you said you became a Christian at 40. Yes. First of all, y'all, there's no such thing as late. We'll just say it's better (laughs) than never. 
better than never. True, true. So <laughs> that's, true. that's true. That's true. So let's get into your story. Yes. Yeah, so I grew up in, in Naranjito, Puerto Rico. In uh, fact, I'll tell you my whole name. It's kind of fun. Is Inés Socorro Rivera Padilla Salas Morales de Franklin. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in, in the Latin countries, quite a few Latin countries, we have the last names for both our mom's parents and our dad's parents. So it's four oh. last names. Wow. And then when you get married, you have the day and then the last name of your husband. So it's like a long name. <laughs> All that to say, I'm Puerto Rican, grew up in Puerto Rico, and my mom moved us to California when I was 16. Um, but she was not a Christian. She in, really, she had this sort of relationship with God, her own relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And it was really my abuelita who took over our faith journey when mm -hmm. we were little and insisted on taking us to church. So she and my grandfather would come over and pick us up. They had a car, we didn't. And mm -hmm. they would take us, uh, the little ones to church um, as often as they could. And eventually mm -hmm. they took us to the uh, Roman Catholic catechism. Mm -hmm. uh, I went through the whole thing. Um, but then once we moved to California, and I would say even before that, it would be around nine or 10 that we stopped going with her. And um, when we came to California, of course, that was the end of that. So I had a, a foundation of uh, knowing God and knowing a little bit about the Christian faith, but I really didn't understand any of it. I, and I had an experience, I write about that in my book, mm -hmm. in my catechism class um, that was so powerful that left me with this really, really confused state as far as who God was. And so as soon as I could get away from the Christian faith, I was super happy to do that. Mm -hmm. While at the same time, believing and knowing that God existed, because I did hear his voice at a young age, um, having sort of this reverence for God, but a distance from God. Mm -hmm. And I thought I could do life like my mom. You know, my mom said, you know, I'm doing it my way. I have my own relationship with God. And I did that for many years without having any kind of foundational faith, never read the Bible Mm -hmm. I think I went to church just a few times. Um, I kind of went along doing life. But by the time I was 37 years old, I, my gosh, I felt like every decision I kept making, I kept taking the wrong turn. So I got married very young, got divorced very young. In fact, the man that I married at a young age, I got pregnant with. The very first time we had sex, I got pregnant and I was only 18 years old. And he was mm -hmm. like, you've got to get rid of this. We have to have an abortion. So we had an abortion mm -hmm. and then we got married, had a son, got divorced. He was very abusive. And I, my friends actually, the, my coworkers uh, helped me get out of that marriage. Mm -hmm. And then I got remarried thinking, okay, I didn't do it right. I can sort of do it again and have a second chance. And I got remarried to a, a man who was from a Catholic background. So my abuelita was happy because I kind of went back to, you know, someone who was sharing more of my faith. My first husband mm -hmm. was um, from a Jewish background, but not a believer, not a follower whatsoever, just Jewish culturally. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, my second marriage, I thought this was going to be it. I'm going to be married for the rest of my life. I had two daughters mm -hmm. now, obviously having a son that would have to go see his dad every other weekend and such. Um, but before we got married, I got pregnant again early in our relationship. I got scared. I wasn't sure that um, I was going to be married to him. And mm -hmm. because I had had an abortion before and I thought it was not a big deal, I did it again. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we did get married. We had two daughters. We were married for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And our marriage fell apart in the last five years. And so 
Second divorce is a whole different thing. Divorce is terrible. It's mm -hmm. extremely painful, but man, if you, once you go to a second divorce or, or more, I assume I, I never want to experience a third, but, um, you really start to, uh, for me, I realized, man, I'm the common denominator. <laughs> it's been mm -hmm. two people. I can point my finger at them as to what they did, why our marriage failed. But at the end of the day, Hey, I'm, I'm the same person in both marriages. Something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> I started to have more time of reflection and all along, I was plagued by my decision to have two abortions with men. I ultimately married and had children with. Mm -hmm. So my children lost siblings because of my choices. And that was really eating up in my conscience and in my heart. And now I've been divorced twice. And then when I got divorced twice, my son was so upset. He jumped into a drug addiction for, I mean, all, all in. And I, I almost lost him. Um, mm -hmm. So I was a mess. And just when I thought, I was going to try to get my life back together. Um, I entered in an affair with my boss who is now my husband. We've been married 20 years, but our relationship started uh, the wrong way in an affair. And I did not expect that to happen. I did not seek that. It was, we spent too much time together. We were crying on each other's shoulders because of our situation. And and now I, I mentor people who are in these sort of emotional attachments that eventually can turn into affairs. I did not understand that mm -hmm. at that time. And sure enough, we did. We, we ended up in an affair and that was my crash, my total crash. When I really looked at my life and thought, oh my goodness, I have done all these things. I'm the one responsible for these choices and I've made really poor choices. And he said to me one day, hey, we should go to church. It was like that, really out of the blue. And I thought, yeah, we need something different. And we Googled churches around our area and visited a different church every Sunday. And we knew no one would accept us. I mean, who would accept a couple that was in the middle of an affair, living together, um, you know, a woman like me, divorced twice, having aborted two children, like what Christian church would accept someone like us? It, so we kept leaving these churches thinking there was no place for us and just massive shame. And then on October 20th, 2002, at 10.15 a.m., I remember exactly, we walked into Mariner's Church, and the pastor was teaching on John chapter 4 mm -hmm. about the woman who had been married multiple times and at the time was living with a man who was not her husband, and that was me. Mm -hmm. And that began a journey for us, and eventually I started reading the Bible. Of course, I was so convicted of my sin. I was just deep shame for many years, even though I accepted Jesus and accepted his grace. It took me a long time to recover from just the lies of the enemy that I was not redeemable or lovable or that the mistakes I'd made, my sins were just too big for God. And mm -hmm. he would never forgive me taking a life, taking not one life, but two lives. And so it was a journey. And I just can't believe that 20 years after that journey started, that I get to teach God's word and I get to share the message. It blows my mind every day. And that we have a, a family that's redeemed, obviously complicated when you have a, a blended family for those who are listening. They, if they, they're there, they know how hard it is, but God is doing amazing miracles even in that. And so I'm just so grateful. I'm just a very grateful person, but it's what God has done. Wow. Wow. So much to unpack, but it was a lot. I know <laughs> it's, you know, it's okay, but wow. Won't he do it though? Won't he do it? Yes, he will. All right. So we talked in the beginning, we talked offline. Let's start from kind of the beginning. We talked yes. about your abuelita. 
Yeah. And um, we both have had grandmothers who were very influential on us. And you said that when you started going back to a Catholic church, she got, she was happy. <laughs> yes. Did, was she still around when everything was going on? And if she did, did she, was she guiding you into like, you know, through the affair? Or did she have conversations with you about that? So my Valita was such a faithful woman of God. Mm-hmm. She, when we moved to California, she wrote us letters. She read me mm-hmm. letters all the time. And mm-hmm. I would tell her, you know, I'm getting married. I got married to, you know, I never told her about my abortions. I, mm-hmm. I just obviously couldn't. I felt so guilty for doing yeah. that, but I did tell her about my divorces and she would write to me and pray for me all mm-hmm. the time. She would send me scriptures in her letters. Mm-hmm. And when I got remarried to a, a young man who was from a Catholic background, she was so happy for me and just prayed for me, telling me like, hey, this is a new beginning. You can trust God to redeem things. And she just teach me so many things that I swear it was like going over my head. I was, <laughs> it was not sinking in, uh-huh. but she prayed for me all along. Mm-hmm. And then I went through the divorce and I wrote to her. She was already in her early nineties and mm-hmm. it was a little hard for her to write, but uh, I went and visited her. Mm-hmm. And I visited her with um, my now husband. In fact, it was probably a year into our relationships. We were just married mm-hmm. um, and, you know, told her that we were starting to go to a church and she was so happy for me. So mm-hmm. she was such a picture of uh, faithfulness in prayer, mm-hmm. amazing amount of grace. She never judged me. She would just tell me how it pained her heart when I made decisions that she knew were not good for me. Mm -hmm. She would always say, oh, I'm praying for you. That's going to be hard. You know, I imagine that's hard. And then when I did come and and she got to meet my husband, she was, I think at the time, 94. Mm -hmm. She was so graceful and happy to meet him and happy for us. And she was so thrilled that I started reading the Bible that she gave me her Bible, which was written all over tons of markings and prayers. And my, my abuelita lived to be 99 years and 11 months. So she almost made it to hundred, but she didn't want to be a hundred. She said, I am convinced she prayed for me as long as she was alive. And Mm -hmm. it took 40 some years before I became a believer. Um, and she did never stop praying. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just so moved by that. I have people in my life who are not we're not walking with Jesus and mm-hmm. I pray for them and I get frustrated and discouraged. And she's always my, my inspiration, never to stop mm-hmm. praying and never to let, never to stop letting people know that I'm praying for them, even if they're rejecting Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, all right. Ugh. No, that's so good because I know I have people in my life too walking far away from God right now. And so that's definitely an encouragement to me to not stop praying for them. And I hope it is also inspiring for you that are listening that Mm -hmm. um, God answers prayers. They may not be what you think when you think they should happen, but everything will, you know, all things work out to the good of those who trust in him. So even if it's not something that we understand, so. Um, very yeah. true. Very true. Yeah. When my son was lost in addiction, he was lost in about seven years. Mm. He is now 30, almost 39. And he is completely drug free for quite a few years, like, oh, gosh, Man. maybe 15 years or so. He's doing great. He's walking with Jesus. 
But when he was, when he was really struggling, he was really far away. It was my abuelita's prayers that inspired me to pray for him. And man, mm -hmm. there's power in prayer. Sometimes we say, well, all I can do is pray. No, that's huge. Right. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of power in prayer. He told me, mom, I could, I could feel you praying for me in my darkest, darkest times. And I can say the same for my abuelita. When I was in my darkest seasons, I sensed that I knew she was praying for me. And I mm -hmm. knew that even though I couldn't tell her that because my pride was so big, right? I, you know, I didn't want to admit that it, it was helping me. Uh -huh. I knew it in my soul. I knew mm -hmm. it. And, um, and so people may not ever tell you, like, they know that you're praying for them until they're on the other side, but prayer is powerful. Yeah. Amen. Let's talk about um, your abortions. Number one, thank you for being so open about that because there's such a there's such a stigma placed on that now. And I really, you know, like I said, thank you so much for honoring me by being um, open about that. When you were going through working with the church or going through healing for that, did you go through like counseling? Did you go through a class or a program? Um, because I know locally we have um, the program that I went through for my own personal healing for other things in my past. They had a class for post-abortive. So I just wondered if you went through anything like that. So our church has uh, a program that's called uh, Abortion Recovery. Okay. I did not go through it. Uh, as mm -hmm. a matter of fact, I didn't even know it existed mm -hmm. when I was trying to heal from it. And I would say, I, I wish I did. Um, it, currently, there aren't enough people signing up for it, which is really tragic, right? The, co mm -hmm. the course is available, but people are not signing up for it. So it doesn't get given. But the minute it does, I'm going to go to it again. Mm -hmm. Because here's how I did go to it. I was already a pastor when God was trying, when I felt like God was saying, okay, we're going to work on this now. Mm -hmm. I was so overwhelmed with dealing with my divorces and my affair that, that that's mm -hmm. an area that I was focusing on healing first. Mm -hmm. But once I got to a place of healing there, then the Lord was like, okay, now we're going to go deeper into this mm -hmm. place of pain that is so painful that I didn't want to touch for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the way it happened was that the pastor for our church, our care recovery pastor was un unable to finish the class. Uh, he was leading the class of a divorce, abortion recovery. And he said, Inez, would you, I know you, you've shared your story. I've heard your story. Would you mind closing out this group? What they do is they name their children at mm -hmm. the last class. Uh, they put their name on the balloon and then they gather together as a family, uh, you know, with the brothers, sisters, whoever they can gather. Mm -hmm. And they let the balloon free into the hands of God. And it's essentially saying, Lord, this is your child. Uh, mm -hmm. he, it, you know, this is a child. It's not, it's not a clump of cells mm -hmm. as some of us were led to believe and chose to believe, I, you know, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, we, this is a child. It belongs to you, Lord. You, you created this child, you know, beautifully way before he knew this child before they were formed mm -hmm. and they belong to you and we trust you. And so I was asked to share my story and help people with that moment as a pastor. Mm -hmm. But when I got there and I shared my story, I, of course, I had to name my children. I had never done that. So I named my children. Um, mm -hmm. I One child I named Micah or Micaela. So um and then the other child, Angel or Angela, which mm -hmm. is angel. And because I really didn't know, right? And we don't know whether a boy right. or a girl. 
So I named my children, I had two balloons, everyone else just had one balloon. So that was like source of shame for me, right? And I didn't just do it once, I did it twice. Mm -hmm. um, but also I had not processed that. So when we all went outside to release our balloons, everyone had their family together. I came as the pastor, I had no one with me. Mm -hmm. And that was so crushing for me. I lost my composure as a pastor. I wanted to stay as a pastor and I couldn't. I became Inez, a very broken woman with a very deep, deep sadness. Mm -hmm. And I lost it. And a woman came up to me who had already released her balloon. And she came over and she prayed for me and held me as I sobbed. And that moment was so healing for me. Um, mm -hmm. I'm tearing up as I share that right now, because I remember what a gift that was for me. As she mm -hmm. said, I will pass through you in your moment. I will pass through you. And she did. She prayed for me. Um, she talked to me truths about my children and about God's love for me. And that was very, very healing. So although I haven't been through the whole co course, I feel like that was a moment of healing. And I do hope one day when the course actually gets people that register, I'm jumping in it because I, I still have healing to do. It takes mm -hmm. time to heal from this. It really does. And healing is not a linear thing. Linear. <laughs> it's never That's linear. True. It is a hill. It is a hill. Yeah. There's hills and mountains and valleys through the whole thing. And, yes. oh, that's, I love that. How yeah. someone pastored the pastor who needed pastoring <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> Thank uh, God. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Yeah. That's I was beautiful. first, I was a little upset with the pastor for putting me in that position, but <laughs> right. when I came out of it, I thought, you know what? I needed that. I think mm -hmm. the Lord put that in his heart and yeah. Uh, yeah. That was part of your journey. Exactly. God Absolutely. is so good. Yes, he is. Let's talk about the shame. Yes. Because there are so many people, myself included, who have walked through different areas of shame. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about your personal walk with shame. And let's talk about how others can work through their own. Yes, that's so good. I think my sense of shame started at a young age. My father left when I was not even a year old. Mm -hmm. And my mother raised uh, us seven children on her own. Uh, we wow. lived in absolute poverty, just, mm -hmm. I mean, financial difficulties galore. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started with a sense of shame that I was disposable, that I was um, not worth someone choosing to stay or care mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. um, being extremely poor and seeing other people have things. And I don't mean fancy things. I mean, even just having more than one pair of shoes, our shoes mm -hmm. came from a government issued, uh, school shoes that we wore all year for everything. And they mm -hmm. were really uncomfortable, but you know, I had only had one pair of shoes. And if we were going to a church or we were going to school, it was the same pair of shoes, whether we were playing outside and that was painful. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like I was less than, mm -hmm. uh, to begin with. And um, that was a source of shame. But then as I got older, I had shame from uh, my seventh grade teacher who uh, really chastised me in after writing a paper in the class that I wrote very well. And she thought I wrote very well. And she was telling another teacher about how good my paper was. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be in the classroom cleaning her chalkboard. And I think I, I must have got stood straighter or did something that showed a little bit of pride or some pride or a lot of pride. I don't know how much. But she chastised me in front of this teacher and I sensed like, man, I can't even do good things and be celebrated. Even when I do something okay. good, I, there's a source of shame. So that was a foundation of my shame. But then you add abortions and divorce 
an affair. And now the shame is crushing, just compoundingly crushing. And the sense that I had was I was beyond damaged goods that, you know, I was a loser, that my life was not worth redeeming, that I was never going to be a good person. And so when I came to Christ, so grateful for the forgiveness. Absolutely. I believe that, that there was forgiveness, but I felt like a reasonable God would look at someone like me and say, well, I save you, but I mean, I'm going to put you on the corner over here because, you know, you can't do anything, you know? And so one of the formulas that I picked up as an early Christian that was really based on shame was that God couldn't use certain people. And Mm -hmm. I was being included in that. And that was a lie. It was, it's not scriptural. It's not true. Obviously, Mm -hmm. as I started to read scripture, I saw God using all kinds of people that were deeply broken Mm -hmm. like me. And, but that took years to um, really fully embrace. I, there's a sense, I think that comes from self-judgment and Mm -hmm. self-condemnation that honestly is another form of pride. As I look back, I look Mm -hmm. back as like, like I almost thought I was better than God. I could I could judge better than God who can receive grace or not, which meant that if I wasn't giving myself grace, I also wasn't giving other people grace. Mm-hmm. I was limiting the power of grace. And so I would say um, it was many years, four or five, six years of living under that kind of shame. And, mm-hmm. and it took us, we went to Israel and our pastor taught us about Peter denying Jesus three times. And then mm-hmm. Jesus coming back to him when G- Peter went back to fishing, believing he was done, that he couldn't be used by Jesus anymore. And Jesus calling him back to the work. Mm-hmm. And Peter had to leave shame behind. And our pastor said, Inez, Jim, you guys have to leave shame behind. And so we uh, were to throw a rock out to the Sea of Galilee, representing whatever it was that we needed to leave behind. And for us, it was shame. And we looked for the biggest rock ever. We couldn't <laughs> find a big rock. So we found little rocks. And we threw them into that Sea of Galilee and turned around and said, Jesus, we will follow you and we will stop living in shame because I learned this. I learned that the hard way, by the way, but I learned that as long as I was living in shame, I was minimizing the work on the cross. Mm -hmm. I was saying that what Jesus did on the cross was not enough, that somehow Jesus had to do something more for someone like me to be redeemed. And he did everything. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize how much I was, um, I was rejecting the very gift that I was thinking I was embracing. And so mm-hmm. I, the reason I can share my story so openly now is because I really believe in the grace that I've been given, that I, I can speak these things, which I know were not good actions from my part. I know they were sinful actions, but at the same time, I can do that believing in the fullness of God's grace and the costly grace on the cross. And therefore, when I speak them, I'm really speaking about the grace of Jesus. And so, but again, that took time. Mm-hmm. It took a lot of effort and prayer and um, a lot of Bible reading and studying. Um, so it does take time. But at one point, I had to leave it behind. And anytime it creeps back up, because of course it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember that moment in the Sea of Galilee. I go back to that posture of my heart. Jesus, I'm not going to walk in shame anymore. Shame says... I am not lovable. I'm not redeemable. I am broken beyond repair. Um, Conviction says I did something wrong and it's not what God wants for me. And he wants to transform me. It's okay to have conviction, Mm -hmm. but, but shame is not of God. It's, 
it's a it's a tool of the enemy to keep us from being everything that Jesus called us to be. And I don't want to do, live in that. So I try to get myself out of it. And my tool is gratitude. So anytime mm-hmm. I feel shame, I go back to the gratitude for what Jesus did for me. And that mm-hmm. helps me stay uh, in an area free of shame. That is beautiful. I think I need to find some rocks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, Rocks, okay, three different ways to do it. You can take a rock and Uh go somewhere on a mountain, on a whatever, lake, anywhere, just someplace where that rock will disappear when you throw it. So that's a wonderful way to do it. Another way to do it is you write it on a piece of paper and go to a fireplace and somewhere and burn that paper, like burn (laughs) it, burn it on the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can bury something, you can put something in the ground and bury it and say, that is dead. That mm-hmm. shame is dead. Jesus killed it on the cross. Amen. So yes, find any way to, and again, it's not like it's going to make the shame go away instantly, right? The, or those lies right. of the enemy that we kind of get in the groove of it. What happens is it's a marking moment that we can go back to in our minds every time we feel that shame creeping back in. So yeah. Oh, Amen. I love that. I love that so much. And I know people, I'm, I'm the one who (laughs) people have laughed at me about this because when I was going through my own healing journey, I would say to burn everything. And they always laughed at me because I was like, well, I'm going to write this and I'm going to burn it. And, um, I was like, well, when I was a teenager and a lot of my issues, a lot of my like sexual sin and some of the things that I dealt with was when I was 15, 16 years old. And that was back in the day where you had the polar or not necessarily the Polaroid, but regular pictures. And okay, I'm going to sound whatever it is, what it is here. Um, (laughs) And I would take pictures. That's why I don't have a lot of pictures of the guys that I was with back in the day, because I would take the pictures, put a lighter underneath it. And literally it was kind of cathartic because the picture would bubble up and turn green and then burst. So it was actually really kind of cathartic because it was almost like when you did that, that that part was getting blown up Yeah, Yeah, and it was gone. So like I wasn't going to set fire to any buildings, but just those (laughs) pictures, it was actually kind of healing at the time, not the best way, but at that time it was, but because there was no Jesus behind that. When I did that, that was listening to Alanis Mm -hmm. Morissette during that time. So, (laughs) but, but, um, so yeah, those are definitely great things for people to, if you don't have a chance to go to Israel, just go to a lake or go somewhere nearby because, and you can read the story. If it's shame, read the story of Peter, Mm -hmm. you know, Jesus meeting him there. But again, read scripture over yourself as you do this and say, Lord, make this a moment that marks a shift in my heart towards mm-hmm. living in the freedom that you came to give me. And then every time I get out of that place, remind me of it again, take me back mm-hmm. here at this moment. So it, it, you can just see, even for you, the way that you did those moments, they were powerful moments. They, you know, there is something about doing something physical, tactical, mm-hmm. that becomes a, a more holistic experience that we can go back to over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. So when you were working through your shame and working through everything, what Bible verses kept you anchored? Well, of course, the story of Peter, like, mm-hmm. feed my sheep. Like, do you love me? Like that, yeah. that powerful question, do you love me? Um, and it's like, yes, Jesus, I love you. And kind of going back to that over and over again, like, do mm-hmm. I love Jesus enough to be willing to 
um, not living this in this prideful sense of I will be the judge, you know, God, mm-hmm. you're, you're not a good enough judge. I will be the judge of who can mm-hmm. be redeemed. It's like, I have to let that go. So that's yeah. important. And then the passage that um, God gave me through all of that was Colossians 1, uh, 28 and 29, which blows my mind. It kind of goes along with the women at the well. You know, Jesus clearly shared his, himself to her, shared the fact that he was the good news, the Messiah that she was mm-hmm. waiting for. And she went and told everyone, here's a man who knows my story. And yet he cared for me and talked to me. So the passage I got was, uh, I'll read it to you. It's from, uh, this is the Christian standard Bible, but mm-hmm. it, this is how it reads. It says, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So we may be present, present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this striving with his strength that works so powerfully in me. Mm-hmm. And so a little bit different reading. If you read it in NIV, which is more him, we proclaim is this picture of like, because of the grace that I've been given. I have but one, uh, one purpose for the rest of my life, which is Mm -hmm. to proclaim Jesus and to teach everyone, everything I've learned the hard way, hopefully, and things that I'm learning the easy way, um, and sharing and using up every bit of energy that I have to, um, bring the good news to others and help Mm -hmm. others live in the freedom that I've gained, um, through Christ. And so that was a passage God gave me very, very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, in Acts chapter two, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Um, mm-hmm. right. So that beautiful passage of this picture of this is what Jesus has called us to be. Uh, you'll receive power when the spirit comes and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria and around the world. And it's this picture of like, wow, God, you don't waste anything or anyone. Right. Uh, right. And so, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Those verses are so good. John four has always been one of my favorite stories. Um, <laughs> It's been one I've went back to personally as well. And do you watch The Chosen? I have, yes. So that depiction still gives me goosebumps every time I think about it. Oh, that scene was so beautiful. But Peter. Absolutely. Peter too. I think we can all relate to Peter in some ways because all of us have looked at the situations and been like, nope, nope, nope. We can't do that. We can't do that. And Peter learned pretty quick that, yeah, you can, and you've been called to do it. So I think we can take that from him too. <laughs> That's right. So true. So true. I need to make a correction. I said Acts two, but it's an Acts one okay. verse eight, where he one says, eight. We yes. see power. yeah, but Acts one, eight for those who might are listening and want to go and mark that for themselves too. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And now let's talk about part of the thing that God has called you to this amazing book, Uncharted. Let's talk about yes. Uncharted. Yeah. So I felt called by God early, early on, like two years into my journey with faith, mm-hmm. God called me to be, to write and to speak again. He gave me this passage in Colossians mm-hmm. and it's like, wow, it made no sense to me. How could I be the one, you know, doing this? Um, and so I, I just went on this journey. The first sub- subject that he gave me was discerning the will of God. So I Ooh. studied every book I could on the subject, massive subject. The more I learned, the harder it seemed. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in seminary because I wasn't learning fast enough from the books that I was buying or deeply enough. And mm-hmm. I tried Bible studies, but they only read one book of the Bible a year, way too slow. So uh, <laughs> someone recommended seminary and I did, and it was a long journey to get into seminary. It took me two years to get in Okay, another long story there, but, mm-hmm. but I did, and it took me six years to finish seminary. And I thought I was going to write a book about discerning the will of God. 
but God kept adjusting the subject on my heart. And he wanted me to talk about the journey of faith itself. Cause I realized mm -hmm. I too was seeking a formula. Like before I became a Christian, I had this formula of how life would should work out. Then I blew it up. Then I became a Christian, but I also brought some formulas to my Christian walk mm -hmm. and those two get blown up on us. Uh, either by, we realize that God blows them up or some other people around us blow them up and realize, oh, that doesn't work. Yeah. And so the book is about this incredible truth that I learned over time in this journey that we all want to control outcomes. You know, it's just our human nature mm -hmm. and we want certainty and we want it our way, but mm -hmm. God has all the certainty we seek, all the certainty we need in his promises, in his very being and his actions. And, but we cause us to walk with him. He doesn't give us a whole map of how things are going to be. He doesn't give us like, Hey, it's going to be linear. You're going to just go up and to mm -hmm. the right. And so the book is sort of my own journey of realizing that. So my story mm -hmm. is throughout the book. I share very openly from all the parts that I've shared here, including I share the story when I first heard God's voice as a young child. Mm -hmm. Um, and this, just this really uncharted, you know, twisty and, you know, very, you know, twists and turns and ups and downs that I experienced in my journey and realizing that, hey, that's actually the normative experience of people in the Bible. Mm -hmm. That you look at the stories of the Bible, look at Joseph's stories, David's stories, all these different kings, the people in the New Testament, Peter, we talked about mm -hmm. their journeys were not linear or even how you would expect them to turn out. Mm -hmm. And yet God was at work every single step of the way. Mm -hmm. And so that's how my book came out. I have spiritual practices at the end of every chapter because I, mm -hmm. my heart for those who read this book and my heart for me as I wrote it was to go from being a lukewarm Christian to being all in, to mm -hmm. being a person that seeks to control even God in my journey with Jesus, to being a person fully surrendered to what God has in his plans. Uh, and being very committed, no matter what happens, no matter how the journey turns out. And I knew that you have to do that in a practical way. And so I created uh, at the end of every chapter, spiritual practices that help us stay on that journey, not to earn favor with God, not to make ourselves Christian, you know, elite, but to practice this relationship with Jesus, just like we would any other relationship. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to really dig dig into it yet but I'm loving what I'm seeing so far and I mean you the one part and I love how you say this is that the faith journey begins the moment we say yes to Jesus as our Lord and Savior and it continues forever in eternity amen amen and I think but that's no matter how far you get from him even if yes. you turn for a while from him yes I love that because that's what I was just about to say is you're never too far gone for him. So absolutely. Absolutely. Someone someone gave me this really cool picture. I, I didn't, I don't think I wrote it in the book, but uh -huh. if Jesus were a well, uh, remember he said, you know, those who believe in me will, will have the spirit will be, it will be like this never ending source of life. Right. And that's, he was mm -hmm. talking about the Holy spirit. And someone gave me this picture. If Jesus was a well, uh, all of us are around that well in different positions. Some of us mm -hmm. are really close to the well. Some of us are far away from the well. And at sometimes we're closer to him. Sometimes we're further away from him. But we're all in that circle around this well. We're always on the journey of faith. Mm 
mm-hmm. whether we're far or close. And, that, and the reason for that isn't because of who we, what we are, who we are, what we do, but because of who he is. Mm-hmm. because he's always pursuing us. He's always present in our lives. I mean, I can tell you, he was always present even when I was a child. He was present in my worst decisions. He was present in my darkest moments. Mm-hmm. He was there. I was far. I was turned away, but he was there. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful picture to remind us that we're never away from the journey. Mm-hmm. The question is, how can we get ourselves pointed towards him and stay close to him? Because that's the most beautiful place to live, the most flourishing place to live. Absolutely. Where can people find you and where can people find your book? So my book is available on Amazon, um, but it's also available on our website in bulk form. So if you want to buy more than one book, I recommend you go to my website because you can get it cheaper there. Mm -hmm. But on Amazon, of course, it's the other place to buy it. Um, It's we also have a a eight week Bible study that I wrote that you can download for free. from my website, inesfranklin.com. So once you get the book, you can go to the website, you can download the study guide, do it together with a group of people. Uh, it's You can do it individually, you can do it with others um, and as you read the book. So it's a little bit of a book club, Bible mm-hmm. study combination and testimony because you hear my story throughout all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, inesfranklin.com or Amazon, and I'm available on social media. And if any of you here are encouraged, or they want me to pray for them, or they feel I've had some people through these podcasts, reach out to me and say, Hey, I'm thinking of writing a book. And how did you do that? You know, I'm always happy to share what I'm learning. So feel free to reach out. Absolutely. I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. I just want to touch really briefly on the ministry that you do. So let's talk about that in the last remaining moments. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so it's called trochia ministry. Think trachea, trochia. Yeah. That word is the Greek word for path in Hebrews 12, 13, mm-hmm. where it says, make level the path for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather be healed. Mm-hmm. And this beautiful picture that when we walk our journey of faith, faithfully with Jesus, um, others, we not only we experience healing, but others experience healing through mm-hmm. what God is doing in our lives. And I can say that in my own life, I see that others have been healed. Mm-hmm. as they have seen how God has worked in my life. So the whole purpose of the ministry is to disciple um, others. And so we do that anywhere I speak. We do that to the trochia. The book is actually a trochia initiative. So all the sales of the books are benefiting the ministry to help us continue the work. Mm-hmm. Um, the anytime uh, we write blogs, we have a podcast, we, we do all kinds of things to encourage people on the journey of faith, kind of going back to that Colossians one, which is mm-hmm. him. We proclaim teaching everyone, everything we've learned and using up all our energy to help people grow in Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen. You guys go check Inez out. And I'm telling you, this has been in- inspirational and encouraging to me. So I'm sure it has been for you guys as well. Go give her a follow on the links that I put in today's show notes. Go get yourself a copy of Uncharted and go sign up for emails and everything to get more encouragement and everything from her. So Inez, thank you again so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gina, for having me. This has been a great, great conversation and I love your podcast. So I'm enjoying listening to it as well. Oh, thank you so much. And you guys have a blessed week. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. I pray that each of you will take something from this episode, that you will be challenged, that you will be encouraged in your walk with God.
If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave a five-star rating and review so that other people can find this and other people can listen to the stories of God's redemption. I love you guys, and I'll talk to you next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.